Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. We're back. We're Listeners back. don't know, it's been a long time since we recorded oh, yeah. the show, like the end of August or something. We pre-recorded the last episode because I wanted to get it done before uh, we traveled. Thank you to everybody that donated. Thank you to everybody that donated. We're thoroughly considered in the, in the name. It seems like there were a lot of donations, so thank you so much to everybody that did that. Um, yes. And have those... Have you drawn the winners? We have, yeah. We probably Wonderful. should have announced that. <laughs> well, we're announcing it now. Here we are. We're doing it now. Yeah, <laughs> we already contacted the winners, so if you were not contacted... You didn't Apologies, win. you did not win, but thank you for your donation. We raised, uh, I think we raised like $16,000 through the raffle. So that's that amazing. pretty good. Good job. Good job, listeners. Yeah. It's yeah. merciless fundraising right there. Yeah. And congrats to you, Mike and Steven, for the amazing uh, job this year. It's yeah. got the record from last year. We did. $726,000 was raised. Wow. Overall. Woo! Which is just a astounding um, yeah. money, quite frankly. <laughs> and over two million, right? Uh, seven hundred and six, the- not seven hundred and twenty-six. I misspoke there. Sorry, seven hundred and six thousand. Oh. But that was still more. That was more than we've ever raised before. <laughs> we raised seven hundred two before. That's where I got it. Oh, uh, so yeah, oh. we are now total two point two million dollars raised since twenty nineteen. Wow, which is bananas. So you it's buy awesome. a jet ski? Or? <laughs> That's not how that works. Exactly. Um, but if we That's were to raise $2.2 million of our own, then, like, yeah, I would buy a jet ski. Jet ski. The, mm. That's the joke that Dan have always had. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever we do a Kickstarter or something and it's successful, we're like, okay, let's next stop jet skis. Let's get them. You know? for, some, for some reason, the default uh, uh, item of... Wealth or excess or I don't know. I feel like it kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like that one, just because it's like I feel like that's one of the things you buy when you already have everything. Yeah, like yeah, and I'm sure, it's especially just a, in like, Texas. <laughs> what's the resale value of a jet ski? You know, well, we're near a lake. Actually, we're it's you know, we're pretty near a lake. So okay, this How big is, this is a this is a total tangent, and we can cut this out if it's boring, but. I feel like I have a really good answer to the what is the first thing you would buy if you suddenly became like a billionaire or a multi-millionaire. A personal chef. Wait, you would buy a human? We don't own people, though, okay? (laughs) I'm not sure you... (laughs) That's not... You hire them, Dan. Uh, yes. You hire well, them. I, mean, I, I think, you I, think get I need my... to have a conversation with your new employee. <laughs> <laughs> I just need you to understand they did not buy you. I mean, I would I would put a water dish out. Like <laughs> they would be they would be cared for. <laughs> uh, we probably should cut this. <laughs> no, it's great. You, you, well, it's everyone you. knows that you do not want to be a slave owner, Dan. Yeah, yes. I think because I think everyone you know immediately goes to jet skis or you know helicopter yep. or you know a basketball. Mm-hmm ball court uh you know in their mansion or whatever but i think having all your meals prepared for you is that would be pretty amazing yeah Yeah, that would be really good that would be really really good but would you do you feel like you could do that in your house like i feel like if you were going to have a full-time like a chef which basically means a full-time chef right like it's not like they're doing other stuff they're so it feels like you would need more infrastructure to support that well, I mean, if you're a billionaire, you can. But what that's I'm saying is, problem. first you got to get the mansion, then yeah. you can get the personal chef. Uh, well, yeah. and also, what's nice about the personal chef, and this is like really silly, but as opposed to like you know a private jet or something like this, which uh, I presume would have a lot of guilt associated with them like private personal chef you're you know you're a job creator like you are providing someone's uh livelihood so it's like i feel I mean, like if you in have terms a personal of, jet you need a 
pilots and a flight attendant. True, yeah. but it, all the you know all the environmental <laughs> impact and all that stuff. So, but, yeah, like I feel like it's a good answer that would feel pretty guilt free in terms of like excess. Uh, I feel like and it would be it would it would pay dividends like for health reasons. You you right, know exactly like, exactly. Yeah, it's not just a luxury item. It's like actually you would eat better and you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Thank that's you. That's a good one. Did you sell enough uh, studio docs to buy a personal chef? Mm, material Not docs. Even close. Um, <laughs> that's what I meant. Material docs. I wish. I wish we would have. Um, what would a studio doc be if you made that? Hmm. I feel like that's a product uh, that exists, right? What is the studio doc? A studio doc would be. At stand for the studio display, which we kicked around ideas for. Uh, yeah, I can oh, see. Oh, no, Kensington made a product called the Studio Dock for the iPad Pro. That's that's what I'm thinking mm. of. Different but thing, did, different show. What did it do? You would like, it was like a magnetic, it was basically like a monitor stand, like the Pro Display mm. stand or whatever, like a small one. Mm-hmm. And it had like magnets and you could attach a USB port and it also had like a bunch of like peripheral ports and stuff. Gotcha. It was like a pretty decent product that was hampered by the fact that the, you know, it was fixed to a certain height or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Studio doc. Mm-hmm. I could I could see I think there's definitely more room, more attention to pay to people who do a ton of illustration and stuff on an iPad. Yeah. I think you you could you could make it kind of art digital art studio doc thing. People, people we, made stuff like that. But yeah, anyway, Material yeah. Docs is what we were talking about in the Studio Docs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we filled out the product line. Okay. So let's see, how did that go? It was a little a little underwhelming. Um, but I think, I, I think we kind of chalk it up to, we had a really long like lead time for them. And so I think it's part that and part, I don't know. But I, I think that it, there's, they're they don't think it says anything about the product itself um mm. and so it feels good to be like rounding out the the kind of product mm. line there um and it kind of i think changes the way i don't know because it really feels like a product line and it just kind of especially when we're like taking the product photos for them and stuff it just feels like not that we're going to make a complete desk set or anything, but it just feels more like we have kind of a system, like more of a system going. Mm. Um, Dan and I kind of like, we don't argue about this, but I think we have a little bit different opinions. My intuition is to kind of be like, let's make a desk system, like a whole desk system. But I don't think we're going to do that. But it just it just feels like we could or we're closer to it. So that that's interesting. Um but but yeah, I don't. They went okay. Yeah, didn't it? Didn't blow up uh-huh. by any means. But it was good. It was good to get it out. We'd been kind of sitting on it for a long time. I so guess it maybe to... it's like one of those things where people have a solution, but like right. now you have a solution to add to the overall solutions of modern products, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, like yeah. So now when someone's but wants to buy this product they can come to you but like maybe it wasn't necessarily a product that would make a big splash now because it wasn't right. like a new thing for you right like it's you've had yeah. versions of this product like i have like three of them and i well someone's gonna have to pry the lightning one out of my cold dead hands although i am now terrified <laughs> That next year, you mean the, you mean the USB-C one out of your hand? Well, yeah. but I, you you don't make that unless you're going to make that for me, which I don't think nah, you will. Sorry, right? we, we won't. so I've already been thinking about like I get like a Dremel, and I, I was going to say get a little router. You, that's what I was you thinking. Could probably modify it. Yeah. I, I yeah. will because I don't want to use the MagSafe. I don't think I have I think changed to a MagSafe. I've got. I'm using a MagSafe pop socket now, so in theory, oh. I could. But then the idea of like taking it off just annoys me. Yeah. I don't know. But like worst comes to worst, that's what I will do now. My plan mm. will be to try and modify <laughs> my lightning <laughs> one. Wait, the pop socket MagSafe's on? Yeah. Is strong enough for that? Yeah. It feels wow. secure? Yeah. They use the oval MagSafe shape, right? So it's got the additional oh, magnet. Oh, it's got the right? extra one? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and I, yeah, okay. it's very it's very secure it's very very secure and i'm happy with that as a product i got like the clear one so it looks i don't know it looks fine like it's got the white ring on it but it's fine it's like no uglier than a case um, yeah. I have a case because I don't want a case on my phone, but I want everything the Max, uh, the the pop socket gives me, which is the ability to hold and also the ability to stand my phone so I can watch movies on it and stuff, which I do like not yeah. movies, movies. I'm not watching like The Godfather, just like YouTube <laughs> videos. <laughs> <laughs> sit down, just sit down in front of the old iPhone. No, no, tenet, no, yeah, you know? yeah, as Christopher Nolan, uh-huh, do his uh, favorite. <laughs> just watch it like, uh, but um, yeah. So I, it may. You know, I, you never really know, right, with these things, like what people, how people are going to react. Like it's actually never possible to truly understand that. But I can yeah. see, you know, it, sometimes you can like try and apply logic to it afterwards. Again, you don't know if you're right, but you just try and apply the logic. And I can imagine it being like a thing of this now exists and people will buy it if they need it, but maybe not too many people would replace it unless they were desperately already looking for that, that product. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Like, I sometimes wonder, for example, if we, like, decided to do a new version of the Glyph that was redesigned in some way or had some extra feature or something, how well that would actually do? Because you would be speaking to an entire audience of people that presumably have glyphs and they're functioning perfectly well for them still. So it's like, what do you have to do to convince them that they need to buy this new thing? And is that even, you know, there's a part of me that's like, I don't want to do that. Like if you have a thing that's serving you perfectly well right now, like you should just keep using that. I think you would be hard pressed to further perfect upon the current glyph, right? It's like, like seriously, like it's so good. We could improve it, but I don't, but again, like it's what Dan's saying, I don't know if we didn't make improvements enough to be like, yeah, that's kind of what I mean, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you could yeah. be like, oh, we made it slightly smaller. It's like, what you what? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's already yeah. doing all the things that it should be. Yeah, doing. it is so functional. It's so yeah. functional that it's kind of mm-hmm. like it's not like a luxury item or something where you want to have the new one, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, yeah that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I mean, it's funny because it's kind of the same thing. I mean, the pin world is so different because people collect pins. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so it is in this, like if we were making another object that was like the glyph where it was like just very functional and we did a good job. Yeah, it kind of is like a dead end <laughs> for, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> for, for like, and so it is interesting um, that uh, that kind of, it's like it's like hey we solved it and then it's like well we better do something else because we solved yeah. that one you know <laughs> I don't know it's definitely interesting but some things stick around like the cosmonaut is still like is still like just selling I think it's turned into this very niche product for a lot like accessibility basically and mm-hmm. like schools I think it's what it's turned into mm-hmm. but it's still just kind of humming along. Um, and so you never really know like what the lifestyle like lifespan of these things is going to be. It's such a surprise that the cosmonauts still just like chugging along. Mm-hmm. Um, but somehow somehow it's finding its way. Yeah, you're right about the pens though, right? That you can as you've seen just do different colors and people that already like the pen might want the new color or someone mm-hmm. who hasn't bought it before and they're intrigued by the color and like you can legitimately it's like it's like legitimate to have new colors of pens. If you were mm-hmm. like, here's a pink glyph, it's like, doesn't yeah, it doesn't really make the same sense. Which yeah. we, that funny, another side tangent, it's like we literally were going to do that uh, with the original glyph. So this was like our, this is a good example of just kind of like uh, being naive or, you know, just kind of gung ho about this. Like one thing we've designed is we came out with the glyph, you know, Kickstarter, it was a success. We made it. And then we were like, what's next. And the first thing we thought to do is do colors for it instead of just black. And our plan, which I think is kind of clever, you know, the, it's called the glyph, which is a typographic reference, Um, and so we were going to do the colors we were going to offer were CMYK. So we were going to offer cyan, magenta, yellow, and then the black, which we already have. Um, and so we're like, oh, this is cool. This is a good idea. 
Um, it ties in with the theme. Like, this is fun. Let's do this. And I remember I was at a, uh, like a frog party, the co- the company I worked for while this was going on. The design firm, right? Uh, the design firm. Yeah. And, uh, the husband of one of the, one of my coworkers, he worked at, uh, it was in case or one of those companies or, or I home that make the, like that used to make the like 30 pin talk, uh, like oh, alarm man. clocks yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You know, he worked like basically in the Apple accessory biz and we were kind of chatting and talking about, this and I was like oh yeah we're like gonna do colors and he was just like why like he was very uh, like kind of brutally honest like that doesn't make any sense like this isn't an iPhone case this isn't a fashion accessory this is like Hmm. a tool don't make colors there's no point and we ultimately decided not to and I'm I'm guessing that probably that council probably played into our decision but it's like Looking back, he was totally right. Like, it would have been so stupid. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I could actually see customers enjoying having the choice. Like, oh, I can do a cool, like, cyan-colored one. Like, that would actually mm-hmm. probably be cool and fun. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't probably convince someone to buy it. It's not like we would yeah, sell more yeah. of them. And right. I think if we had, like, 10 times the scale, we probably would have done it. Because I remember making that decision, and I think it really came down to just not wanting to have so many SKUs. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like mm-hmm. a lot. And so, uh, I think if we had a ton of scale and it would have made sense, I-, I could actually see it being a thing like customers be- wanting to have that choice. But yeah, it's right that it, you really don't need it, and it's not going to be a differentiator. It's not going to be like, oh, mm-hmm. well, let me get this one because it's blue right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, this is one of those things, right? Of course, it would have generated more sales. Like, of course, it would have, like, but maybe, uh, most probably, not enough to gen- to like justify the work and yeah. the stock management complexity. and the yeah. complexity mm-hmm. of it, right? And like, mm-hmm. these yeah. are the kind of the balances that that you have to to do, right? Like, is it worth it? Speaking yeah. of which, actually, custom Cerakote colors, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think. Yeah, uh, so uh, like you, you guys are now for the Mark One, offering a service which you had extended to me. I assume I was a beta tester for you for the quarter the brand, first yeah. Mark One, <laughs> which you know you'd done them yourself, right? But the idea of like working as a uh, with other companies to brand them. I don't know if you have plans. Maybe you could talk about this, like because obviously I'm selling them. I don't know if this is a mm-hmm. thing that that you're otherwise allowing. We can get to that in a moment, but like. Mm-hmm. Colors like we are now working on doing a a, a limited one, a blue one. Like a, we're doing a light blue one for Cortex brand, um, and this is like a similar thing where like I would like there to be a blue one, which is why I'm doing it, like because mm-hmm. I think it will be fun. And we're doing a small number of it as a test, and like that, and it's like kind of a test for me of like, could we carry two colors at the pen? Well, yeah. I'll find out, I suppose. Yeah, right? We'll like I don't know if happens. our audience yeah. is going to want that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, that's why we really enjoy doing the limited edition stuff with the Mark One, where, and we've talked about this before, but it's just like we're not committing to having all these SKUs and combinations on our books, but it, it's like an outlet. And the cool thing is, we can actually really push that, right? So we can do stuff we wouldn't, you know, stock, right? With the limited editions. And, but I could totally see that, like, if there's some color combination, that just is really awesome when we see it or maybe some, you know, like custom program customer does some combination that's just like really awesome and we love it. Yeah, maybe we I, I could see us stocking it. Um, I mean, we're definitely not going to stay super rigid, but we have this complexity coming up, which is the Mark III. And the Mark III is like totally designed to be like sitting next to the Mark I as like a little siblings. And so... We want to keep the color, the colorways like the same. And so <laughs> eventually that could get tricky where it's like we're not adding, like if we want to add a color combination, right. we, we might be adding like four SKUs or something, which just because it just really becomes complex very quickly. So um, 
so that's another level of complexity that we're kind of like having to navigate. So we haven't, we actually haven't ever fully done a real like reevaluation of the color skews on the Mark One because right now there's four combinations, right? There's a white body, a black body, and then like a silver knock and a copper knock. And we definitely know the ratio of like sales and like what's more popular, etc. But it does feel like there's one week, like the white and silver is like by far the least popular. So we could drop it and it would be fine. I think most people would just buy a different color. But it just kind of, it just kind of breaks uh, what feels like kind of a harmonious system. And so, I don't know, it's very tricky. Like all this colorway stuff is it's really hard to know how to make those decisions because you never know like how much delight is that color combination uh, bringing someone or is it just like they're just picking one and they don't really care. Because I know like when we did the Cosmonaut Kickstarter campaign, we actually had uh, options where you could get a little wood end or an aluminum end in the back, like a little accent. And it just seemed like people didn't care like Mm -hmm. which one. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure some people did, but it seemed like most people didn't care. And so you're always kind of like, uh, how, like, how precious is this? Like, how important is this? And it's really hard mm-hmm. to know. Because if we were to ask people, there'd be a group of people say like, oh, I super care. What are you talking about? Yes. Like, it's the most important thing. And some people would be like, uh, I'd be happy with any of them. Right. And so it's like, it's really, um, really tricky. Yeah. But we can never get rid of the white silver combination because it was, I had an aha uh, moment when someone emailed saying they were going to use it as the pen for their wedding guest book. And I was oh, like, ooh. oh man, that is it actually is very, the perfect yeah, it does pen really work for that. that. Oh yeah. yeah. Why does yeah. it work so well in that context? <laughs> That's interesting. Well, because white and silver is so wedding-y. Like, yeah. it, 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 it's just wedding-y. Yeah. That's interesting. I always think medical device. <laughs> don't don't listen, customers and listeners. Don't listen. But in my mind, I'm always like, oh, this looks like a medical device. I, because mm. of this polished steel white, and the white. Then the, the silver. Yeah, I see, yeah. I see that too. I and see so I'm too. always kind of like, uh, this isn't as like nice. But in the context of like a wedding and a wedding book, it's actually like, oh. Because they are super sparkly. Like they're really polished. Like they are... Mm. If it was brushed stainless steel and it wasn't so sparkly, I really don't think it would work. It would be too falling yeah, flat. But like, no the fun. white, you know, the white body is so unusual. Like there aren't too many yeah. purely white pens like that. So it's a pretty unique thing to have yeah. uh, on your wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Cool. It's uh, really funny. Like you posted the, the the like the colors that you use to mix the blue that we're hoping to use uh-huh. for the, for the uh, cortex pen and like i think this might, might be something that people need to understand about cerakote and it's also <laughs> kind of funny is like when we first spoke about it so the colors are it's a mix of stormtrooper white and nra blue <laughs> yeah <laughs> which it's is all real rough but this is well, the thing you need to understand about cerakote is it's all guns well, it used to be. Actually, it's surprising it's changed. Yeah. yeah, if you go on their thing website now, it's like keyboard, you know, keyboards. And, <laughs> and I know I've spoken to like the, the some of the like head marketing people and they're like really happy when we first did the Mark I with it because they were just like, we want to have more horizontal like products using it. And so I think they're definitely like trying to push other kind of markets. But yes, for sure, for the longest time, it's been firearms. Um, and so, yeah, it's very like... But what happens is, if you look at their whole color swatches, they have a lot of colors that are named after things. And it's because I think it's the official color. Like, I think that blue is probably like NRA's like actual blue. Probably is, and yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it like, you know, it makes sense for them to have that like as a thing. But Because I can imagine yeah, is, there are probably quite a lot of guns that are Cerakoted in that color. I guess I don't know. I it's most you know it's mostly like military stuff. Like if you look, it's like a, there's a ton of greens and olive greens in the huh. Cerakote swatch book. Like ton, mm-hmm. like way more greeny grays than anything else. Interesting. Um, but yeah, recently they've put out some really bright, cool colors. So, they you know, 
it's uh, it's becoming a real big thing in the in the keyboard world. I've mentioned this before. Yeah. But mm. Like Sarah, it's awesome. Yeah, because it's yeah. really fantastic. It's uh you know, it's unlike anything, right? Like from yeah. the texture and how strong it remains. And I, yeah. now I much prefer Cerakote aluminium to anodized aluminium. Really? Personally. Oh yeah, the texture and how it looks. I much prefer Cerakote to, yeah. to anodization. Yeah. And you know, it, it's only been recently that we've been doing custom, like custom mixes on the Cerakote. So and you're doing that. Really... I didn't know you were doing that until I saw these images. So you, Tom, are doing the mixing, right? Yeah, yeah. So basically, what happens is, you know, we have these standard. We have the swatches for the standard Cerakote colors, and if there's something we don't want, it's literally just like paint. Like you just yeah. can mix them up. And so I figure out by weight the ratio exactly of like what I'm doing. Like I take guesses and then I spray it and kind of fiddle around. But then when I arrive at a mix ratio, that's locked. And then I just send it to the production person. And he'll like confirm with me, like, does this look right? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But the cool thing about Cerakote is it's so consistent that if you got a good mix ratio, like you're golden. Um, and so, yeah, you could do all kinds of stuff. And then the really interesting thing, which we have not yet tried, is Cerakote reintroduced this like um, iridescent additive line oh yeah and so you can it's different colors of iridescent even iridescent white i think um that you can mix into your base coating and Uh it like does an iridescent situation at different like levels of degrees of intensity so let me know when you get a whole nother (laughs) i want to make a pen with that (laughs) so that and our coder hasn't looked at that yet like it's brand new so yeah anyways it's just cool to, to have this really vibrant pa- uh, palette. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the other really cool thing, although it is expensive, their standard shipping is overnight with Cerakote. Mm. So if you order a little test, wow, it's like $10 overnight shipping, which is actually cheap for the shipping, but the Cerakote itself is really expensive. Um, and so... And so it's cool. Like It's pretty instant gratification in terms of just like, oh, let's try this. Um mm. So yeah, it's you a have fun... to be certified of them, right? Yeah, you're you definitely are supposed to because the thing that's crazy about Cerakote is so when I spray it on a pen, it will probably look the same. Uh, sometimes the gloss level, I, it's hard for me to get right because that has to do with a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really matters is the performance, and you have to prep the surface like very exactly to be able to get the actual good performance out of it. And I don't have the setup to really do that. Um, it's all about like how you abrade and then clean the surface. And so I can, it's easy for me to do like tests, like color yeah, tests. Yeah. But when it comes to performance, like no, di- like I'm not going to mess with that. So we we'll leave it to the pros because wow. yeah, it's very fiddly, uh, very fiddly. Looks complicated for sure. It is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's like not at all like um, like powder coating. Like powder coating is like really easy relatively because it goes on really thick and it's just not it doesn't care as much about the underlying surface condition but Cerakote is like it's like a less than a it's like half a thousandth of an inch thick so it's like really thin coat and so um it just super matters what the underlying you have like a a thing to like because you have to cure it right do you have all of that yeah, so you, it's, uh, I just use a toaster oven actually. On That's its incredible. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> because it, it doesn't, so again, I'm not looking for performance, right? Because yeah, you're, so you're not, re- yeah, it's not, nothing you do is going out to a customer. It's just, to no, get, like, yeah, so if there's no, no, streaks no. in it or whatever, it's not important. It's purely yeah. for color, right? Yeah. Yes. And I, but it does, but here's the thing that's so wild about Cerakote is you have the color, but then you have a hardener that actually sets the gloss level. So you can change the gloss level of the coating. And so, but also what factors into that is how you cure, at what temperature do you cure it and how quickly and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of uh, variables that go into getting like a consistent finish, like a lot. And so, and also just like how old it is because it off gases and that changes the gloss level. And so it's a very complex thing. And so, yeah, I can do like you know little tests and stuff um but to really do it yeah you need like a real oven that's accurate and like all this stuff like the, mm-hmm. like the the sandblasting media that you use to sandblast it needs to be like dehumidified it's just like this whole thing it's like a whole thing so 
that's not that's above our pay grade but um <laughs> but the cool thing is we can we can mess around with the color combination and then and then have it done so it's fun it's a good uh it's a good little playground to be in uh you mentioned mark three i was reading your latest kickstarter update mm. things seem to be going really well yeah, no, don't say it. <laughs> I think we're going to be ahead of you. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it is going really well. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's what happened is just like what you expect and hope to happen when you make something like this, where it's like, <laughs> here's what we want you to make. And they just like do it right the first time. Like the first samples they <laughs> sent us were exactly right. We made a couple little changes because it was it was like because it was like a design thing where it was like oh we actually want to add like a chamfer or something on some parts, mm-hmm. um, and so but we could we made those changes knowing that they would like work so we just said we made the change and then like okay do the production run, and then from what we can tell so far like the production run is also exactly right and yeah. so it's like yeah. okay this is it's work this is how it's supposed to be <laughs> and so we're there. Um, you know, it's always hard to know exactly where they are in the like export shipping process, but they're definitely like they're sending them. If they haven't sent them, I think they'll be sending them very soon. Um, and so, assuming everything goes well there, then yeah, we're going to start assembling the mechanisms here, and then we're going to send the parts off to the Cerakoter. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's we're always a. Uh, gun shy about saying any dates because almost certainly they'll be wrong but uh but it is going well and i would be surprised if something was really wrong you know like i think Mm -hmm. it should be smooth sailing hopefully so that feels great i wish this could happen every time (laughs) i mean we also knew i also kind of thought that this one would work well because the hard parts are the same hard parts as the mark one and we know the supplier has figured out how to do it for the Mark One, and so we are confident about that. And then the parts that were new uh, were not h- hard, um, really. Or there was one thing that's hard about them, but they did it correctly. So, so yeah, we. Uh, I was I was pretty hopeful that it would go super smoothly, but who knows? Who knows what? demons and snakes might be lurking in the grass for us to (laughs) (laughs) happen upon can't it just be okay (laughs) it could be okay uh yeah i feel like we're kind of reaping the benefits to some degree of having the uh infrastructure set up to make these machined you know swiss turn metal parts Mm -hmm. whereas if if this was our first thing, if the Mark III was was the Mark One, I, I imagine it would not be going this smoothly because we would, you know, there would be things we'd have to figure out. And but the fact that we already had a supplier and their base, like the body on the Mark III is so similar to the Mark One um, that it's like they know how to make that. They just have to, you know, there's just some changes. Um, so it's like, we're finally doing the thing that we should try to do, which is like not find a whole new supplier every time we make a new product. <laughs> like, right. Uh, so that's, so that's good. Like that, it feels like it, it's like a, an investment paying off a little bit of, uh, you know, already having these things kind of set up. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, you know, I obviously we learn with every product, but it, these are so similar, like you said. Or it's actually, they're not even that similar, but the challenges that are the hardest challenges are almost identical challenges. And so that's the, mm-hmm. that's the real nice thing. Um, because one of the parts, <laughs> one of the parts in the Mark III is, I think, by far the most complex part we've ever made uh, in terms of just like the amount of features on it and what's going on. What part but it's, is that? So it's like the part, so the mech, so there's like the lead advancer, which Schmidt is making, but uh-huh. then there's the, what we call our mechanism, which is the thing that trans, that holds the eraser and like kind of keeps everything together. Uh-huh. And there's this one part, we call it the mech inner, <laughs> but basically the reason why it's complex is because it has, um, it has 
a long hexagon feature. It's got a very skinny drill hole that's long, which is like a hard thing to machine. And then it's got what's called a blind brooch, a a blind hex brooch, which basically think about, uh, it's like a hexagonal hole, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have a bot, like it doesn't go all the way through. It's called a blind hole. And so that's for like sticking an Allen wrench inside. Um, And that is just like a hard feature to make. Um, And like with high precision, all that stuff. Um, And so that is a pretty complex part relatively for, but these Swiss turn machines are like literally made to do that, to do that work. And so, um, yeah, so they, so they did it right. But the things that could bite us, right, are like, there's weird burrs or surface finish problems that are on a certain percentage of the parts that we right. didn't notice or they didn't notice. And that kind of um, causes us problems with assembly. Like right. th- those while the you kind got of back something perfect, you did get back a sample, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, and we, yeah, we got like a decent handful of samples and like could check them and stuff. But, mm-hmm. you know, let's say out of a thousand parts, if like 10% of them are, uh, have a problem, it's really annoying because you don't know what 10% they are. So you either can go through all them all and check them, or you just kind of proceed with assembly, but then uh, you don't, you like, you find out the problems during assembly or after the fact. Because a lot of times these problems that exist with these machine parts are really subtle. It's not like, oh, this thing is wrong and it's obviously wrong. It's like, barely wrong. And so there's like too much friction in some situation. And so therefore, you know, this happens or it fails down the road or we have to do this extra step when we're assembling Mm it. It's stuff like that where it's not like catastrophic, but it's just like a real pain in the butt and it slows us down. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily with this, with a Mark III, there's not a lot of situations where we could really be screwed. But that's, I mean, I could also be wrong about that. Like, Like something always will surprise me, you know. So um, it's those kind of problems. It's like this subtle, like, oh, this thing is off by a thousandth. Or, oh, there's this little ridge that was left on the cutting surface, you know, on 5% of the parts. And we didn't know and all this stuff. So because if you were to try to check every part at all the critical dimensions, it would take a long time, you know, Mm. to do that. So, yeah, it's all very complex. Oh, I have a. Can we do a dance tech corner? Sure. Tom. <clears throat> yes. Or do you, do you need me to perform? <laughs> dance with me, Tom. <laughs> dance tech corner. Thank you very much. I like that. Uh, how long will the dynamic island last? Oh Ooh. yeah. So this is um, just thinking about. So the notch was introduced with the iPhone 10, which was when? 2017? Sure. Is that right? We'll go with that. Yeah. Uh, So basically the notch as the main feature on the flagship iPhone lasted six years-ish, five or six years. And so... My the thing I'm interested in is this like dynamic island obviously is like a big investment in kind of how the iPhone feels in this new kind of interaction paradigm, you know, on an OS level. And so I always, it's always interesting to me when it's like. Well, obviously, they want the screen to, you know, to, for it to be all screen and there to be no cutouts or anything, which is true. But I think people a little bit act like that's an inevitability that is nearby. Mm-hmm. And I admittedly haven't kind of researched enough in terms of like what other phone makers are doing or what the technology actually allows. But I am somewhat dubious that we are going to get all of the stuff that is in the dynamic island either behind the screen or crammed up into the uh, bezel Bezel. anytime soon. 
So it's like, I would not be surprised if we have a dynamic, it might shrink. I mean, it will, it will shrink a little bit, you know, but I wouldn't be surprised if we have a dynamic Island on the flagship iPhone for eight years, 10 years. Like this could be just what iPhones are for a while because I don't, I don't see a clear path forward of shoving stuff behind the screen. Like, can you have a camera behind a screen? Like, does that yes. work? With, I mean, yeah, does but it poorly. work well? No. Yeah, Samsung see, have done it. <laughs> like, Samsung have done it on the fold, and it looks like the cameras. Every image is smudgy. Is what it looks like. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, but okay. So that tells me that it is going to happen in less than eight years. At first, I was on your side, Dan, that it would take a long time. But the fact that Samsung can do it at all and would ship something with it means that uh, it can be improved. And Mm -hmm. because these engineers know, like even Samsung, like they're not the reason they shipped it is so that they could iterate on it. Right. Like if they knew it was impossible and there was no way they wouldn't have done it because I'm sure there's some prototype somewhere where it actually works well. They just can't make it at scale, you know? Yeah. Like, and what all is in the dynamic island? It's the front facing camera and the face ID sensors, laser, you know, sensor yep. thing. Is there anything else mm-hmm. in there or are those kind of the only two? No, things? that's it. Cause they actually move the proximity sensor under the glass that is under the glass. Okay. Yeah. And, so and what all about, that- what about the face ID sensor, which is a camera, I guess, technically, but kind of a different kind of camera? Like, is that easier, harder to be under a screen? Like, I have no I idea. I would expect it's easier because, like, yeah. the camera, I mean, you can make it work, but it's got to look good. The face ID yeah. sensor, it just has to perform. It doesn't need to perform in a way that people are going to enjoy what it looks like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It just, it's yeah. just like whatever. So here, let's make this fun. So I'm going to be, we'll add this to the predictions. I'm going to be Las Vegas and I'm going to set the over under (laughs) for when the dynamic island goes away and we have, so in concert with that, we have an entirely full screen Right, but that's that's the question, right? Because what I would say is I expect the dynamic island outlives the sensors going Underneath. Like there's Ooh. some there's some kind of interaction area yes. that stays up there. Okay, so let's just say then because well, I uh, think they truly believe. Screen. Say again, Tom, there's sorry. no dot. Let's just say there's you can watch them. There's no interruption of the screen. Yeah, so no interruption of the screen. Right. I would set the over under at let's say seven years. So under. would you take the under, under or the yeah, over? Yeah, I reckon five years. Okay, yeah, I'm going to take the over. So you both take Whoa, under. under. Yeah. I'll you take over. You think it would over. take over seven years before it's we, a full screen? We time? had the notch for six years. And it yeah, but in the six the years time, all it's done is slid down a little no, bit. No, I don't. No, but that's wrong. <laughs> like, not wrong. Sorry, I shouldn't have said it that way. I believe that at the same time that they're working on what we've got here, they're also working on their technology and it's accelerating. Like... But it's just not good enough yet. You know, I expect every year now they're taking a bet on, is this the one where we can put it all under the screen? Oh, no, let's move to the next one. Like, I I think this is going to move quickly. Yeah, but I think you a little bit made the point where it's like the dynamic island is so successful and people like it so much. And how you were saying it will stick around even if, uh, you know, the hardware Mm -hmm. stuff goes away. I feel like that's kind of bought them some time. But the dynamic island, when there is nothing occurring, doesn't have to show anything, right? Like, the dynamic island could be so dynamic that if I'm not doing something in the background, there should be no UI element there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that would be the idea. And then when I've got a live activity going on, then the dynamic island should pop up. Because really, it's just multitasking. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's what it's doing. Um, you know, you know, like how, like you got like the now playing uh, widget on like or the now playing interface on the lock screen. When there's something not playing, I don't see that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, but mm-hmm. it, but it appears when yeah. I need it. And yeah. I imagine that yeah. the dynamic island would be a similar thing to that in the future. But they're just like right now, it's just doing what it's. It's just there. It's just, so they're always going to do something with it. I have okay. a weird usability question. Mm-hmm. 
let's say that it is edge to edge screen and the phone basically basically becomes visually symmetrical uh does apple push that and there's no correct orientation i know the buttons are a problem um but i wonder because right now no you can't do that because you couldn't make a phone call you'd be holding it upside down the microphone and the earpiece but they could just double everything oh that seems because but here's the here's the question but here's my actual question is i wonder how much the notch, the dynamic island, or any of these things actually help people orient these when they pick them up. So, like, I mean, I know oh, the always on screen is going to solve a lot of this, but right now with my phone, I look for the speaker when, you know, to be like, yeah. okay, wait, like, which way is this? I guess um, the, the, the thing that you have going in your favor is that this is exactly how the iPad works, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the iPad is completely orientation agnostic to the right, point yeah. now that what is volume up and volume down diff- differs depending on what orientation mm-hmm. you're holding it in. Mm-hmm. Like the button like literally changes. So, you know, like, yeah, I mean, there could be a situation for that. I feel like the camera sense is way too large though, like as a, as an item. For them to double it up? Two, what, two cam? No. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, I would say no to that. It's an interesting notion, Mm -hmm. but I would personally hate that. Uh, Like, I don't want this. I don't want the uh, accelerometer to be flipping my screen in different directions like an iPad does. Uh, I don't think that would feel good. Um, I agree. But I just the affordance that the little. I mean, with an always-on screen, I bet this disappears. So this is probably moot what I'm saying. But there is, I think, some affordance with that little, with the little speaker up there, you know, to help you kind of. Yeah, it's interesting you were saying that, and I was asking myself, like, what do I use to uh, to ground myself and to understand Uh the orientation of my phone? And I don't think it's any one thing. It's like I. It depends on what I'm looking. It's like, oh, here's the I can see the camera module because it's upside down, or it's like, oh, I see the notch or the volume or the lightning jack. It's like there's all these little uh, mm-hmm. guideposts, and it's it, I'm never necessarily just looking for one of them. It's like I just have to grab on to whatever is closest to uh, to orient myself. I think it's the 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 lock button. I think my thumb is just so like just reaches for that, like and and kind of is aware of that. As a, mm, as, a, as an element. Yeah. I definitely use that to know if, like, if the phone's in my pocket and I'm reaching in, uh-huh. if, like, for me to tell which side is the screen or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I do that. Yeah. Um, with the buttons, not even with the camera bump, which is interesting. It's, like, always the mm. buttons. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I just think that's a, it's an interesting part of this equation is just, like, there's something about the iPhone having a pretty obvious top that like makes sense uh yeah and with that's gone then it's like you know i mean we'll adjust or whatever but it's just an interesting design problem i think you i think you are right on though that the always on display will probably just address that yeah 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 Yeah, but i don't know it's weird though because i don't know i can't even i was trying to think of the examples of when i need to look at the speaker to see to orient my phone but i do find myself doing that and it's weird because like I should just touch I would usually just habitually touch my phone for the screen to turn on. So I don't mm-hmm. there must be situations where I don't know. I I have, have to think about that. Well, I mean, but, you yeah. do still touch it for the screen to turn on. Yeah, you still do. But anyway, oh, you mean like with the always on? Yeah. Yeah, but at least you would see it. I mean, you just yeah. see it so obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I it I mean this this is just getting more and more boring. I, it's really awesome though that with the dynamic island that they really they just really expressed the most appley thing they can do. Yeah. It's like they're the only ones that could ever pull that off and it's like awesome that they really went for it. They like really put effort into it. That I really, love it. I love Did it. we did we talk about the dynamic island last episode I don't think or so. was it out? Yeah. Yeah. I think the dynamic island is I can't remember the last time Apple has introduced something 
that has been so universally heralded. Yeah, probably right? Like, mm-hmm. no, nah, I no, I heard plenty of uh, uh, design criticism of like, oh, it looks like they just cut the wires off. Like, why are these stems sticking out? Like, uh, I uh-huh, think there was uh-huh. there was plenty of kind of that uh, stuff, but. It's like that. There's so much. I can't remember. People have been so bullish or positive about like a new Apple thing. Like I've hardly. I mean, I, I, I guess I have seen some criticism now that it's kind of out and people are finding the edges. Yeah, and the there's, weird, there's like uh, a, you know the, the general interaction of it is is I think a little bit reversed where if there's something running in the island and you tap it, it opens the app rather than extends right, right, right. the the, intera- the UI. But from my experience of using the phone for a month now or whatever, I very quickly have internalized what I need to be doing, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think it's a great first use experience, but yeah. once you understand that if you want the thing, you just long press, like, it's not very complicated to learn that if you want to learn it, honestly. Um, but... I I I really like it, and also when we're recording is just before iOS sixteen point one comes out with live activities, but I have a few apps in beta that support it, and it's so good. It's so good mm. to have like if I've got like a like a an alert going of some kind. I don't want to say I I don't know what apps will be out by the time this comes out, but like that I've got like a thing that's active. And I just go home and it remains like visibly active to me. It's like such a smart idea. Uh, Like I'm really excited for when, you know, like ride sharing services and delivery services add these live activities in as well. Because like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a really great user experience anyway, just the live activity in general, having the persistent notifications on the log screen yeah. But then when it's yeah. paired to the dynamic island, it's like, oh wow, that was really smart. Like it was really yeah. smart. Yeah. No other company will ever have the margin to be able to make a product like that. That's the thing. Like, no one I don't think I can't think of a single other company that has the resources and focus to be able to like put that much energy into a product and have it be that good on launch. Because even if you think it like a Facebook or a Samsung or a Google, they're spread across so many different things and they don't have this like singular product to like really focus and put all these resources into. Mm. And it's just the fact that Apple can has set themselves up to where they can do that. It is such an advantage. Like no one can ever do that, you know? Especially when you find out that like they actually architected something in the processor. Yeah. To be able to, to do it. It's just to render it properly. Like no other company that's making these devices has that level of control currently. Like no. They also does. just don't have the patience. Like the fact that Apple institutionally can have that patience. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. A, yeah, like have several years of architecting to get this right, and then not anyone know, like not really have it leak. It's just like it's pretty amazing that that can get pulled off. Um, yeah, it's really it might funny seem, like, what trivial. we thought this was going to be to what it ended up being. Right, mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. two cut, two cutouts in the display. Well, it's yeah. it's really funny. Uh, like at the eleventh hour, the rumor came out that's like, oh, they're actually going to fill the gap and put a little like recording indicator or like a microphone on uh-huh. indicator yeah. in the yeah. gap and i was like oh cool that's really clever <laughs> it's like but we also no at idea the same time what, was actually what a waste of pixels though right it was the yeah. it was also the other thought which was my thought of like it's gonna fill it in i'd prefer to see the color you know like i'd prefer to see the color of my app in between like little do i know they've introduced an entirely new right oh, i wanted to ask okay. you about about this too right what do you think about the fact that they did brand it yeah, that's, uh, I mean, well, they're Apple. They they brand. They even well, did they, processors. Did they ever brand the notch? No, and I and I've heard that this is part of it. Is that they never gave the notch a name? Yeah, and people just called it the notch. It was always just a compromise. And Didn't they I call think, it something though, like the sensor array or something? Yeah, like, like a technical you know, and it was name part for of it. the like whatever they branded the display, right? Whatever they called yeah. it, you know, like yeah. I don't know if it was Liquid Retina XDR or whatever, but like they gave it a name, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I I think they 100 percent had to give it a name because it's more than just 
a hardware cutout, like it's a thing that developers need to refer to, you know, like it, they had to but brand like, it's it. It's super because, interesting. In the, in the presentation, it's like the first thing that Alan Dye talks about is the, is the mm. brand name for it. And mm. I just found it to be really interesting. I could imagine, mm-hmm. right? Like people, I've heard people say this and I can imagine it being true that like the design team were just frustrated, right? That like yeah. people call the thing <laughs> a thing. And that this time they're like, no, we're going to brand it and we're going to make sure you all know what it is immediately. Yeah. I, just, I just found that to be like, if you read in between the lines, just like a really interesting way uh, how they handled this differently to how they yeah. handled all of the other notches. Totally. And I think this is a really, I would love for, you know, Gruber on the talk show or someone that has access to, uh, you know, executives. I think there's a question you could ask and you could ask it in a certain way to where you might actually get an interesting response from, you know, a a higher up at Apple. Mm. And the question would be along the lines of, yeah, basically naming things and what they think about how all of their products essentially get renamed uh, by the community at large, sometimes in quite pejorative ways you know if you think of like the trash can mac or uh the macbook escape which was like pointing out uh you know the shortcoming of a different mac and like the macbook one there's like all of these everything basically gets renamed and so it'd be fascinating to know a like how aware they are of all these nicknames which i'm sure they are aware but be like how that contributes to or factors in their own naming strategy because Their names are so kind of all over the place. And sometimes they do like a great job. And sometimes it's like, why do you have a max phone and a plus phone? Like, what's the rationale there? And, you know, there's like so many little avenues to go down or details to discuss in terms of just purely the naming of products. I think there's a lot of like interesting fodder there. If you were able somehow to pry a little bit of like insider detail, I think it would be interesting. I'll do what I can. Oh, with the Man, dynamic island, though, I feel like naming it reframes it from like, oh, this was a compromise that we're still making because we can't do behind the screen yeah. everything yet. Mm-hmm. It reframes mm-hmm. it as like an intentional product decision that's actually a benefit, you know, because yeah. it's like, hey, yeah. we made this cool thing. Yep. Um, and so I think the fact that internally they like just decided to like go full bore on that as like it obviously is a compromise but they're like well actually let's see if we can you know make the lemonade out of these lemons and i think the fact that they named it what 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 could be just like a simple like upgrade that is just like better than before but still just a compromise it yeah turned it into like a product feature um which is so smart and uh in just like a really interesting way, I think internally just to like approach, uh, you know, design challenges and stuff. And so, yeah, it's just, I don't know, bravo. It really, it's so impressive that they could do that. The, the, t- the roots and like tendrils of that design choice must go so deep. It's yeah. crazy. Like the fact that they did, yeah, like make processor architecture to support it. It's just like really interesting. So I'm changing the uh, over under to six years instead of seven years. Do you guys still want the under? <laughs> and I said five years. Why did you change yeah. it? Okay. Uh, because it's you guys moved the line by both immediately going under. So I had to adjust as Vegas would. Is that what Vegas would do? They do. Yeah, that's how it works. What are you, Vegas? <laughs> that's what I said earlier. <laughs> Danny Vegas. Uh, okay, so or I could set it at five. Should I set it at five and a half years? You can set so it wherever you want, but. I'm still I'm still like under five years, so okay. So I'll set it, it at f- set it at five and a half. So that means if it's five years or less, you win. If it's more than five years, then I win. And we're so talking you're about saying we have what to is do five this show for month? another five years. Oh yeah, that's what you're telling me. That's what I'm committing myself to. I hope you guys are on board. Uh, yeah, I was when you when you were originally going at eight. I was like, oh buddy, that's twenty thirty. I don't know about this. Yeah, I, I'm, you know I'm, I mean? I'm telling that's you, I mean. We, I made a 10-year prediction earlier for uh, the iPad, uh, and we're already four years into that. And yeah, but pretty good. if we're putting another eight on it, now we're into a new decade. Like, I'm not, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. That's a long-term <laughs> commitment, you know? I mean, I love you too, but, like, that's a yeah. lot to ask for someone. 
Um, I have one last uh, follow-up on the Dynamic Island because I do not okay. have an iPhone 14. Okay. Um, I My conjecture from earlier before the iPhone was announced, but we had the rumors of this, of the cutouts is that by simply having pixels illuminating the top edge of the screen, you would kind of get this uh, peripheral effect of a full screen Mm. phone. Did that end up being true or is there still this black blot at the top that you seal? Infinitely more noticeable than it ever was. Like, really so much more and like you know again i've heard smarter people than me said this before me but i will quote them like the notch like you could forget about it like you just like whatever you just weren't paying attention to it the dynamic island does everything it can to get your attention yeah. it mm-hmm. physically changes shape all yeah. the time it's bouncing yeah. around up there and like blooping and blopping you know and like the, what yeah. about sometimes, when you're watching a movie full screen or a video oh full you screen? i mean i can't i hear like here's another thing if you use uh an app with that's like full black dark mode uh-huh. it draws a little line around the dynamic island it does yep oh it wants you to Bold know it's move. there if you're using an app that's got some kind of color in it that line is a color otherwise it's dark if nothing's going on it draws a gray line around the dynamic island still oh that's interesting it, they really want you to know that this thing is there like yeah which is very different put a hat on it put a hat on it Thoroughly Considered is a joint production between Relay FM and Studio Neat you can find out more about this episode by going to relay.fm slash tc slash 87 